Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone and welcome to Sean's Wildlife Podcast. I'm very excited to be doing an outdoor ramble back again uh, with a very special guest today. We have Elliot Newton from Citizen Zoo and uh, working amazing biodiversity work in Kingston. So Elliot, thanks for coming. Oh, well, thank you. No worries. So far. Yeah, so I'm showing Elliot around uh, Ealing because you've never been to Ealing. You don't know what Ealing is. (laughs) It is my first time in Ealing, which I'm rather ashamed to say, to be honest, but yeah. It's been a really nice walk around. I've had uh, the last hour or so. It's really good. Yeah. Um, so one of the reasons you're here, I want to show you like some of the habitats we're in, we're at Paradise Fields now, is uh, talking about water voles because you are about to get yourself heavily involved with water vole conservation in Kingston. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Well, I'd say we've been almost doing it for about a year or so already. So we're yeah. quite a way into the programme. So um, it's where we're looking to try and bring back water voles, which are the fastest declining mammal in the UK. Yeah. Which is a pretty unfortunate statement, considering <laughs> the UK is already a very wildlife depleted nation. And having a mammal that is the fastest declining mammal in that context, you know, it's pretty pretty depressing pretty stuff depressing stuff yeah so it's a, a reintroduction project you're going to bring them back well that is a plan that is a plan so um i suppose to give you a bit of background so it's the hogsmill river which yeah. is in kingston uh, it's a beautiful 10 kilometer river it's what we call a, a chalk fed stream so right uh chalk streams there's only about 200 of them on the planet so in it's wow night, it's like a really interesting sort of habitat and uh, provides you know, a wealth of habitat for a range of species and water voles have got a long and uh, I would say pretty famous history on Wind in the Willows right? <laughs> uh, Wind in the Willows yeah Kenneth Graham's famous book where he uh, uh, calls the only water vole in it a rat by ratty but never mind we can forgive him for that because, yeah. um, but I suppose what's interesting by that is when Kenneth Graham was writing Wind in the Willows and, inclu- and included the water vole that, does, that just shows you two things to my mind it shows you that they were very prevalent in the landscape at the time that he was writing yeah. it. And also that it's such a cute and charismatic mammal that you know, people are interested by and want to learn more about. So really has that sort of enshrined in British culture. And cute factor oh, with absolutely. the little little round furry face. Oh, who could not, who could not say a water is not cute when you look at one in the face? Absolutely. Yeah. And um, Elliot, tell us a little bit just about your background. Um, so you're obviously as much a wildlife nut as me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but what have you been up to the last few years? What are you What are you doing? Yeah, so um, so uh, a few things, I suppose. What was, so we I did a, in 2014. Uh, I did a master's in conservation science at Imperial, yeah. which was a really fantastic program. Um, unfortunately, it no longer exists. But um, really, it was amazing to be part of that program and meet fellow nature nuts like ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And be uh, just immersed in that sort of environment. Um, and during that time, um, with a friend of mine, Lucas. We came up with the idea of uh, creating our own new sort of conservation organisation that was based on two things. One, rewilding, which is very much, I think, a, a thing that you're Popular. very interested yeah, in. Yeah. And uh, secondly, community-led conservation, how we can try and inspire and mobilise and get people outside, not just loving nature, but really doing... Getting actively involved. ...conservation work and trying to reverse the ecological devastation that we're currently surrounded by. Yeah, so yeah. That was the general premise, so 
and that's gone sort of from strength to strength over the last few years. And that is Citizen Zoo, right? That is Citizen Zoo. I probably should say it's name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll plug it if you're not going to. Yeah. So, um, but so yeah, no, it really is great. at trying to really encourage and empower local people to see wildlife. But it, this year, I actually started a new job, and I now work for uh, Kingston Council as a biodiversity officer, trying to do. Oh, great. Trying to integrate sort of biodiversity action plan and do stuff. We're like just going to head this way. I'm going to okay, show you cool. some good waterfowl habitat. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. So um, Kingston. Um, didn't have a biodiversity officer before. You're the first, are you? Um, I, well, recently, so yeah. So it's a new position to the council, which is quite exciting. So good. got lots of good plans to put in. But I'm still involved in Citizen Zoo from a, a volunteer perspective. I'm still a director and help, um, you know, progressing things on that side of things as well. Yeah. So, yeah. And when you talk about community-led conservation with Citizen Zoo, what kind of examples of projects are you doing? Well, I think the best example is what we're looking at right now is trying to do this water bowl conservation project. Um, uh, so, uh, I, I fundamentally believe that anybody can be a conservationist, yeah. if, and if we give them the right sort of support and inspiration, um, you know, anyone can do it. Um, and I think we need lots of people to do it, considering sort of the environmental ecological collapse we're currently in. So, if we can really help scale up conservation by having inspired people who want to help get involved, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So you're recruiting your volunteers to really get hands-on yeah, but you're also one of the things I found interesting about it is you are quite focused on reintroductions of rare species so the project for example that's an amazing thing that you've got like people to do tell us about that yeah yeah so this is a project we haven't really spoken about too much at the moment um, but we're looking at uh, we're looking to really go live with it probably next month so we're might go. be cheeky and not talk about it just yet oh yeah no worries <laughs> <laughs> we'll veto the topic it's secret yeah yeah okay. anything like that that goes in it just we, i'll just chop it out okay. so just tell me i was like oh fuck yes. <laughs> have i done an expose we're, we're, we're not going live about that until november okay i've just uh, asked elliot about a secret project which is yet to be announced okay. but we'll uh, we'll come back to that one in our next podcast episode okay tune in soon okay. but tell us about some of the other projects uh, yeah, citizen so, zoo has I, been i suppose the most yeah the most exciting project that we have that's really community focused is all about trying to bring back the water bowl to the, the holes mill catchment yeah. And there are so many ways in which the community have been at the heart of this project from the very start. So we actually launched this project uh, in, um, well, last summer, really, right. at an event that we called Wild Kingston, which was uh, trying to get local people to take more of an interest in the local environment. And we uh, had a big event at the Rose Theatre, which is the main theatre in Kingston. Yeah. And uh, 800 people came, which was amazing. And, uh, yeah, it was just about to celebrate the wildlife that we can find on our doorstep. Cool. And at that event, we sort of said, we want to bring waterfalls back to the catchment. The last one was just, well, last seen in about 2017, so we're not talking Not too ago. long ago. Not okay. years and years ago, so how can we try and get this charismatic mammal back home where it belongs yep. um, in our landscape? And uh, at that talk, we had a chap called Derek Gow. Oh, yes, I know speakers. Derek. And He's uh, appearing on a podcast soon. <laughs> oh, I look forward to listening to it, that's yeah. for sure. And uh, he... Uh, He's pioneered the waterfowl reintroductions, as I'm sure he'll tell you. Yeah. He's bred over about 25,000 species. Uh, 25,000 25, voles of yeah. species. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, in, in his time, and he's really pioneered that approach. And so he's been helping us uh, sort of work out how to go about it. Yeah. And uh, so the first thing we did, we uh, well, obviously did a lot of research about it, made lots of other conservation projects. Yeah. Especially, there's a really good one in the South Downs that we spoke to. Um, for Elena, which was that was lovely. She gave us some tips for how to go about it. Yeah. And uh, what have we quite our way through. We're going to go through here. I need to show you something yeah, where yeah. I thought I found water voles, but 
turned out to be mistaken. Oh, wow, but, but look, it's definitely seems like <laughs> good habitat, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we we, oh. we explored various other sort of conservation projects that took a similar approach, uh, and one really good one was in the South Downs National Park. Um, and then what I did, we using a sort of trialed and tested methodology, we managed to train 60 volunteers how to see the world through the eyes of a water vole. Right. And sort of look out for look at so train them in yeah. terms of what we think, what good habitat they need, what yeah. food they need, what sort of you know environments they need to make their burrows and their banks. Yeah. And then we got them to go out in the in the wider landscape across the Carhogsmoor catchment and uh, explore. And they. Uh, yeah, so we effectively mapped the entire river yeah. for waterfall habitat. And what was really good out of that, we found that there was areas of good habitat, areas of not so good habitat, uh, but we, we fundamentally worked out that there was enough habitat present. And you said they were there as, as recently as 2017. Yeah. What, uh, why are they not there now? Oh, well, that's a really good question. I suppose part of the reason why they are the fastest declining mammal in the UK, um, there's always going to be many factors that are involved in any sort of species decline. But there's two primary ones in the case of the water vole. One is just general habitat degradation. So yeah. a lot of our rivers uh, aren't maybe as managed as well as they could be or as well as they should be. And they're very shaded. And it, that in itself means that you don't get the variety of macrophytes and sort of aquatic uh, flora that the water vole might Lovely urban sounds going on there behind <laughs> us. <laughs> we are in Ealing, but in a kind of wild area next yeah. to... Yeah, we're looking so. at a lovely sort of reed bed here. Really yeah, nice. so this is... Paradise Fields, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, this is Paradise Fields, which is one of the, the most promising sites, I would say, in Ealing that we have for waterfall reintroduction or waterfall habitat. There was um, a survey done by the Wildfowl and Wetland Trust in 2009, and they identified five sites in Ealing that had promising signs that waterfalls may be present. Um, but I'm not sure if we're there now, because a lot of these habitats have degraded over time, like you're saying. Yeah. Um, they just haven't been managed to encourage the kind of, you know, aquatic kind of bankside vegetation and, and habitat that the waterfalls need. Yeah. So it's got quite well, it's overgrown. And it's definitely quite overgrown, isn't it? But there's um, open water, there's obviously quite a lot of reed mace and bulrush. Well, the good thing about waterfowl, they can eat a very, they can eat about 227 different types of plants. Really? So, so they're not too fussy. De- there's definitely enough food for them here. Um, yeah. Definitely water. Um, so, and you see the reed beds um, behind us here as well. Connects to other sort of wetlands in the area to make that sort of sustainable metapopulation that waterfowl needs that don't become too isolated. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. I think you know. So the first thing is habitat first loss habitat. and habitat degradation. Yeah. And, and the second thing? The second thing is the introduction of the American mink. Yeah. We've spoken about in your podcast before. Yes, yeah, yeah invasive species. Very much a, 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 a real sort of issue in UK conservation and, and the threats that, that that species has brought to not just water voles but ground nesting birds. Yeah. Um, obviously it's not the American mink's fault they were here, they were, they were brought here yeah. uh, to sort of, fuel, for, sort of fuel the fur trade in mink coats. Yeah. Um, and then some naturally escaped from farms and some were released for, by sort of animal welfare activists. But unfortunately, yeah. when uh, a water vole comes uh, confronted with a mink, it's never experienced one before in the landscape. No, and it's one of the only... It's, it's an aquatic predator that can get into water vole tunnels and, and follow them into their uh, formerly safe places from predators, right? Absolutely. It's a small mustelid. It's not like an otter, which is like quite a big, yeah. um, a big creature that can't get into the banks, but these ones can get in 
and just really could wipe out an entire waterfall population in a day. I was going to say, so these five sites that we have in Ealing that had historically uh, waterfall populations, I surveyed most of them this spring myself. Uh, when lockdown started, I, I went out to one Fantastic. site a day on my permitted exercise. Great. I placed some trail cameras right where we're standing now because these banks down here, you can see, have some yes. uh, little pathways and tunnels in. Absolutely. And I thought, have I found the site? Are they still <laughs> clinging on? Turned out to be... Rats. Rats, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sadly. So I've got some lovely footage, trail cam footage of rats, uh, but um, is there any competition there, like where there's rats, would that put off water bowls? Well, or? That's a really good question. A lot of people ask this when you say about you, you bring, there's going to be that competition. And yes, there will be competition, as there is with so many sort of various species in the animal kingdom. But one thing we can look at is that water bowls have been very prevalent within the landscape for hundreds of years. It's yeah. only really been the last sort of 40 odd years that we've really seen dramatic declines. So they have been living in London and other sort of areas across the UK alongside rats for a long time. And it was so they can a, a little bit of predation here and there and aggression, but I think overall it's not going to have a massive influence on yeah, the water yeah, prevalence. Yeah. Mm. So I think, yeah, with these five, six sites that we have them in Ealing, one of the issues that you've touched on is fragmentation or isolation of those pockets. And then if there's habitat degradation and it gets less suitable for them, they can just slowly die out and they're not, uh, they're not moving away into other suitable habitat mm. surrounding. But I think the mink issue is important when that happens as well, isn't it? Because, as you say, one single mink passing through and finding a new habitat can decimate the entire population of water voles in that area. And then once they're gone, they're gone. Yeah, it could be devastating. So American mink has this sort of luxury in a way it's a highly mobile species. It can move about 25 kilometres in just one day. Really? Whereas wow. a water vole is probably, the home range of a male water vole, we say, is around sort of the 300 metre mark in a sort of... OK, a, so, they're so very... They're, they're not a mobile species. Yeah. So, um, you know, once once water voles have gone or once there's a real bit of pressure, it's very difficult for them to naturally recolonise or find other areas. So because they don't, they don't have that level of mobility that, you know... So once you put an obstacle in the way between two populations, you're not going to get cr crossing over of those populations yeah. generally, or well, you'll, you'll get the sort of um, you know explorer water voles that do the yeah yeah a little bit the more, nomads <laughs> go a little bit more out of their way to try and find greener pastures, but overall um, they're pretty sedentary. They're pretty they're pretty they're pretty yeah they, they, they stick in one spot, and that's why proactive reintroduction of this particular species is so important because they're not going to naturally recolonise our landscape. We need to give them that helping hand yeah. um, to try and get them back. So what have you been doing so far in preparation for uh, the reintroduction project? Yeah, so as I say, we've got, we trained our volunteers to go out and survey the river, which was a really good first step, looking at the yeah. feasibility of it. Um, we've also been monitoring for American mink, so we have uh, 10 flotation rafts yeah. across the catchment, which are basically sort of rafts that you put in the river, and uh, they have a little tunnel on them, and anything that walks over it, there's a little clay base, and they leave their footprints. So okay. even during lockdown, we would do volunteers during their daily exercise. We go and check our rafts. Um, yeah. We had camera traps out at the same time. Yeah. And uh, luckily, since February, we've not had any any uh, presence of mink. Of mink. But that doesn't mean they won't get here. So we'll always have to monitor, even yeah. for the very long term. So uh, it's a very important present part of the project. Uh, but we're in the fortunate position where we haven't got a strong population of mink on the river. And have you historically had mink on the river, do you think? Historically, yes. And yeah. I think that was, as we say, part of the reason for Why the initial yeah. demise in the first place. Yeah. Okay. So, controversial question, because conservation often throws up some ethical um, quandaries and uh, controversial issues on Absolutely. in terms of predator control. And to my mind, you know, controlling the population of a non-native predator that's decimating one of our native animals, one of our fastest declining 
native, native mammals is a no-brainer. But to some people, they would see that, well, it's not the mink's fault. We shouldn't be culling mink either. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your views on that? I mean, without controlling mink, we're not going to have water voles, right? Absolutely. So water is without question. Mink cannot be in uh, the landscape without having their sort of devastating effects on various wildlife populations. Yeah. So that is a fact. Yeah. And uh, um, I, I completely understand and sympathise with the animal welfare um, and it, it, it's not good to kill any species. But I think at scale, we are going to have to actively remove mink from the rivers. Yeah. However, this project, what we're trying to do, because we, we recognise the, the, you know, we don't want to, I take no pleasure from killing anything. If there is an option which results in it not being killed, I think, you know, that should always be investigated into the yeah. feasibility of it. So we're proactively looking to some success at the moment to try and find various animal uh, sort of rescue centres that could actually hold captive populations of the Okay. Mink. And we're having some positive discussions about that. So yeah. Where people will have these already enclosures where you can actually safely retain the mink and they can live their, 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 live their days out in captivity where they can't be sort of, you know, having the negative impact they do. So, yeah, we, yeah I think we're investigating both lines, but I think we're definitely putting more effort than most water bowl projects do. Yeah. Um, into, uh, uh, in, into Was that a little... Chetty's warbler or something. It's definitely something, wasn't it? Yeah, something unusual. Warbling in the reeds. Yeah, was it a reed warbler? Maybe re late reed warbler. Yeah. Um, I've got my binoculars. Yeah. It's not going to be too useful here, I don't think. No, it's quite <laughs> dense cover. Um, this bank was made originally for to try and get sand martins to breed, but as you okay. can see, it's completely collapsed down. It was a bit of an experiment, I think. Okay. But, well, it's um, a good attempt. Yeah. We just need to yeah. try again. We need to do it again. Yeah, I think one of the, the issues is just that... Uh, we don't have an action plan in place for like managing these habitats for water voles specifically. Sure. So one of the things that I want to do with Ealing Wildlife Group is follow in your footsteps really and kind of put water voles back on the map. So we currently have uh, the biodiversity action plan is in development and one of the species um, that we're prioritizing is water voles in Ealing. Yeah. So I think first things first is to try and just find out if we still have any. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm less hopeful, um, but I think we need to do more surveying. Um, and then the second thing is to get like lots of different stakeholders involved, because as you've seen today, we've got these pockets of habitat like Paradise Fields and um, a few other, other sites that are quite good in themselves, but we need to connect them up. And one of the big things is the canal. Yeah. Um, you know, the concrete edges on the canal with no bankside vegetation is awful for biodiversity and, and doesn't house water voles very well. Exactly. There's a few solutions for that, though, right, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I think one thing that we can always... I think we, as, as, a, as a nation, we've spent millions and millions of pounds concreting our river systems. Yeah, yeah, and now straightening them. Straightening them and taking all the sort of river sort of meanders that are so important for so many species and also controlling flood risk. Yeah. But now we're seeing millions of pounds being spent on the opposite, trying to actually try and... Bring, bring back bring, the natural features. Bring back the natural features. And we can see the benefits, not just from the ecological perspective, but also a flood risk perspective. Yeah. So... If the, if, the, if the money was there, you know, other options to remove the concrete. And, and South East Rivers Trust and various other organisations along the Hogsmill, including the Environment Agency, have done a great job at knocking out concrete and weirs and yeah. stuff. So that has been a proactive thing that's been happening on that river for some time. Um, but yeah, I think, and then if, if you haven't got the finances to actually remove these concreted structures, um, you know, you can always retrofit good habitat types, um, you know, where we use So we were talking about core matting and um, planting that way. And, Absolutely, yeah. and, and putting in berms and deflectors that can be sort of retrofitted around it to bring that sort of heterogeneity and flow that you really need. Yeah. For, uh, 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 
helping so you get different like microhabitats and different little kind of ecosystems within the the river system Absolutely. on different physical features of the river yeah. right so important not, not for invertebrates and for fish and so many yeah. species to have that diversity within the within the stream or yeah and this is the thing i say to people like you know when you do species focus i think you're quite similar that you'll choose a species that's going to appeal to the public and get funding and and stuff but anything you do for the likes of waterfowl conservation or encouraging kingfishers or you know choosing these iconic species actually has a massive benefit for everything else as well doesn't it absolutely we like to call them umbrella species so we yeah, have these, good way. we have these sort of charismatic yeah. creatures that can fly the flag for the, the environment that can be that hook to draw people in yeah but then by obviously doing conservation actions for these creatures uh, we'll have positive reverberations throughout the uh, throughout the ecosystem, the ecosystem. yeah yeah, yeah. So. this is uh, where our friend kieran would uh, maybe disagree with you there was <laughs> we had a quite a heated uh, discussion in the pub a few weeks back about uh, whether we should be doing water bowl projects or earthworm projects so i'm out in a pub with kieran and elliot and they're having a massive debate about water bowls versus worms which is the better species or a group of animals. So I'm going to go to Kieran first. Why are worms better than water bowls? Well, first of all, worms are a whole group rather than a single species. And we need to get away... I from did the... clarify that, Kieran. We need to get away from single species conservation. But my argument, one of my arguments is that more money will have went into water bowl conservation, which is a single species, in the last hour than has went into earthworm conservation since forever. Over to you, Elliot. All right, well, Kira, I'm not going to lie, earthworms are a very important part of our ecology. I can't deny that. But what I am going to say, water voles are the fastest declining mammal in the UK. They're a cute species, they're a charismatic species. In their own right, they have a very important ecological function. So my point being, they can draw people in with their cute charismatic nature, we can express the extinction crisis that the UK is currently facing. And we need to bring this species back. We need to, bring, we need to make sure the world is great for water voles. We also need to make sure the world is great for earthworms too. But I think from an engagement perspective, water voles are a really better way of engaging the natural general public about the environmental crisis that we're currently facing. What do you say to that, Kira? I think that's really interesting because actually, like, water voles, yeah, they're... Apparently they're very charismatic. I'd like you to clarify in a second what you mean by what you mean by charismatic. But because I, but from an engagement perspective, I'd like to ask how many people do you think have seen a waterfall? Because I think most people can engage with an earthworm in their back garden. What they won't realise though is that we have 31 different species of earthworm within the UK and Ireland, and there's a lot more to learn about them. And, Actually, when we talk about rareness, do you realise that we have some species of earthworm that haven't been recorded in the UK in the last 10 to 20 years? We have some species that were almost declared extinct by the SNCO for England, Natural England, but it wasn't until we actually got some volunteers out there looking that we realised that we've got a tiny little earthworm that is still existing in the UK that nobody knows about. What's more important really, Elliot? Well, I think what is important is the general public having a really good awareness of the environment and the environmental crisis that we're currently facing ourselves. I couldn't agree more. Going in your garden and finding earthworms is amazing. Children and, like, finding a wood earthworm, that's really important. 
But I, I would argue that water bowls are a very strong place in British culture. When uh, Kenneth Graham... Ratty. Ratty. When, when Kenneth Graham wrote Wind of the Willows and put a water bowl in his story, he did not include an earthworm. I think probably because there is like a really charismatic nature around earthworms. People like mammals. We are mammals ourselves. What do you mean by charismatic? I mean they are cute. They are. They have eyes and a mouth and a nose. Things that humans can relate to in other ways that, that they can't relate to a worm. So I think we have a massive ecological crisis facing both our worms and our water bowls. But if we have to start anywhere and the massive general ecological literacy that faces our nation, it's an easier place to start with our water bowls and our earthworms. Friday night pub chats, folks. <laughs> Sorry, I gave the final word to Elliot there. Not, Kieran is not finished. It's, what was your last point, Kieran? It's interesting that you talk about cultural heritage with, earth, uh, with water bowls. Sorry. I slipped up there because obviously earthworms have much more cultural heritage in the UK than water bowls. Being that? A, being that they've been around a lot longer in many ways. But also, if we're going to talk about people, famous British naturalists that have a history with, with the group, I think I might refer to uh, Charles Darwin. You may, you may not have heard of him, Elliot, so I'm sorry if you haven't, but his last <laughs> and best-selling book in his lifetime was called The Formation of Vegetable Mold Through the Action of Worms, because Darwin spent 30 years studying earthworms. And to finish, to finish on a quote, his, his word, his final word was, there may, there may have been, what, what, sorry. Can I, can I borrow you for a second? So I'm just bringing the, the barmaid. Okay. So the, the barmaid is going to answer the question. If you, if you were going to go out into, if you like wildlife, what would you prefer to look at, a worm or a nice cute No, that's not the question. What do you think is more important in terms of ecological importance? That's not the point. The idea is, would you think that we should save this little rat that lives on the side of riverbanks or the earthworm which uh, tills the land and produces all of, helps us produce our crops, etc. Worms or water bones? Worms or water bones? Which would you choose? Worms! There, There we have it, folks. It's worms for the win. Sorry, Elliot. What do you say to that now? Kieran's not here. <laughs> well, I, I think I, I was more on Kieran's side than you realised. I think. Okay. I, I, you were just goading him. Well, I, th- I think obviously all creatures have an important role, especially worms. They have such an important ecological role. Kieran can talk about worms a lot more than I can. We'll get him on <laughs> on another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, my 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 take on the message is, you know, we have a massive ecological illiteracy. Mm. Major deficit disorder within our country. People are disconnected fundamentally to nature, especially in Ealing, for example. We're walking around these amazing, beautiful, wild spaces, but we haven't really seen that many people, no. in, you know, walking around. No. And so, I told you about the kids not knowing what a badger was when we showed oh, them a badger skull, right? What a shame! What a travesty, eh? So, yeah. And I think there is, an, but I think if you went into a school and you showed kids a worm, there is that interest. So there is an interest there. Yeah, yeah. But I think if you're really trying to start and engage people at mass and try and get them into the nature and appreciate nature, 
you know, it's a good place to start with a charismatic species that they think are cute. Yeah. Um, and then you can use that to then later tell them how important worms are and stuff. So. Or why water bowls are connected to exactly. everything else. And Yeah, there's yeah. a, a friend of mine called Peter Cooper who works with Derek Gow. Okay. Um, he, he, he was doing a talk the other day about glowworms that I was listening to. Yeah. Maybe it'd be a good chap to get on your podcast potentially. But um, he likes to call glowworms nature's gateway drug. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Cook people in. <laughs> Start a because habit, a lifetime watching, habit. I think he was, he was, he was watching uh, Gogglebox or something, and the people were watching some butterfly reintroduction. I can't remember the specifics. Yeah, yeah. And then we just, across this, across all these TV sets across the UK, people were just like, why? Why are people bringing back butterflies? I already see butterflies all the time, you know? Yeah, a butterfly is a butterfly. butterfly. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't really that appeal, but a glowworm or a water vole or something that has that magical... Or a barn owl that we focused on. That yeah, yeah. so much work on. We, it was great to see those barn, bo- barn, barn owl boxes, boxes yeah. We've got barn owls in them this year, which oh, is great. Fantastic. But yeah, I think... It's nature porn, right? <laughs> well, you could say that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Peregrine falcons, barn owls, oh, water voles, wow, great crested newts. I've Absolutely. just shown you some ponds with great crested yeah. newts in. Well, you seem to have really good populations here. Yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. But yeah, I think trying to find these sort of wildlife celebrities that can fly the flag to bring in the masses and then you can try and I like nature's gateway drug I'm going to use that that's good <laughs> but yeah to try and really get people involved at a, sort of like yeah. a local level so tell us about your fundraising project because uh, congrats are in order you've just got good news that you reached your target oh, right we are absolutely over the moon Sean I'm not going to lie so what have you been doing so over the last six weeks uh, we launched a crowdfunder yeah. to try and raise the funds to actually purchase the water voles that we captive bred yeah. um, when the time comes we're not, we're not putting the order in right now there's a bit more habitat restoration that needs yeah. to take place but we want to have the money there so when we get the green light to put the order in we can do it yeah. and we had our £12,000 target and we managed to get £18,250 just for our crowdfunder and what was amazing wow. with that um, Chess into World Adventures were fantastic they gave us they got a conservation fund they gave us £5,000 but all the other money in that was led was from the community. We had like 300 donations from people. Insane. And I think that is part of the, the thing we're just talking about. Because water voles have that charisma around Appeal, them, yeah, yeah. people are willing to actually put their money into their pockets and help bring them back. That sounds promising for Ealing, Ealing water voles if we do decide to do the same, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'm so humbled and amazed, especially this year. It's been so many sort of negative stories. and We're living in a time of ecological collapse. But being able to see... The community come together and help bring back this species. Yeah. And, you know, it shows there is hope, you know, if we come together and we can actually help reverse some of the species. Well, you're reversing a local extinction, right? Absolutely. Ultimately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're doing it with the communities, which hopefully have so much longer term uh, sort of benefits, you know, rather than just going and throwing them in and not having that engagement by making people walk over the river. You have to river. think about the future of it and managing the habitats Completely. going forward, right? You can't just let them loose and then in yeah. three years' time they're gone again. Yeah, and I think one of my favourite conservationists of all time is a chap called Aldo Leopold. Oh, yeah. An American yeah. conservationist. Uh, sort of, did a lot of writing in the last century. And he, he said, um, I can't remember the exact quote, something about we, 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 want, we will not truly value wildlife if we see it as a commodity and, yeah. our, and um, our landscape as a commodity but we have to actually see that wildlife and that and, that, and, and the native habitats around us as part of the community which we belong to mm. and once we see that you know the kingfishes the water voles the glowworms the worms everything yeah you know once we see these as actual elements of our wider community not just our friends and our family then we, we will then cherish them more and be able to like live in a more environmentally ecologically responsible way and so 
Um, and that is very much part of the part of this waterfall project. So when yeah. people walk up and down the, the hogs mill where we're releasing, hopefully in the future, they'll say, oh, this right. water bowl is part of my community rather than, oh, you know, it's yeah. a, a tangential thing that I may, you know, not really have yeah, an yeah, affinity yeah. with or relationship with in a sort of wider sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're training up volunteers to then survey for water bowl signs and keep an eye on populations and things like that going yeah, forward? Absolutely. Yeah, So monitoring is always so important to any conservation yeah. programme. So... Uh, it's so amazing that so far we've mapped the entire hab- river habitat, we've, man- we've sort of been monitoring the presence of mammals through our, our, our footprint mammal rafts. Yeah. Uh, but, so we've, we've already demonstrated, obviously citizen science is an amazing thing, there's so many ways in which citizen science is used across the conservation scene, but this project has demonstrated its value. And there's so much value to be had in the future, so we want to train, I think you're looking to have a similar name, but the Vol Patrol. Vol Patrol, Vol yeah. Vol Patrol, and we're going to have these people going out once we've got the, the water voles, looking for their sign, making sure that their habitats are, you know, not just surviving, but, you know, are we breeding, what's happening, so we yeah. can have a real understanding of the, the, the population dynamics that are going yeah. on. And uh, the best way that I think people can be doing this, we're looking at various ways, but one thing we're doing some investigation in right now is sound. So okay. um, water voles, because they are really they're fundamental to they're a really important part of the, the ecosystem. They, mm-hmm. they, but the most important thing is out of our four vole species, they are by far our biggest vole. They're quite means, large, yeah. They, yeah, they, they're, yeah. They're, they're packed with protein, so they're really good meals for a kestrel or a heron. Yeah. Um, and they really do help f- sustain our food webs. Um, but that means because they're so heavily predated by so many things, they are naturally very cautious and sort of shy, shy yeah, species. Yeah. So when they've got their sort of, well, they'll typically sit on the edge of a bank, always looking out for potential predators. Yeah. And they have that like the typical rodent fashion. They've got the, the bulging eyes on the on the side of their head. And if you they're get, like a, a brown furry guinea pig almost, right? I, 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 I do compare them to guinea pigs. I think yeah, that's a yeah, good yeah. way to do it. Um, but yeah, well, when you get when they get scared, what they'll do, they'll launch themselves into the river. And, and you hear really that distinctive plop. plop. That plop sound. And yeah. that plop sound isn't just him trying to save himself and get away from whatever potential danger is approaching him, but also warn the other water voles in the locality. And use that as like a warning sign. So that's like their alarm call. So, so you get one plop and then several other plops in succession up the riverbank. Yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what an amazing sound that would be to hear. And Brilliant. people always think about you know, the sound of the wolf or the sound of the dawn chorus. Like these, but these walking up a chalk stream hearing plop, 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 oh, plop, plop. I plop. think that is equally as exciting <laughs> as hearing a wolf in some landscape somewhere. Brilliant. I love it. I love your, uh, you know, dedication to the waterfall geekiness. <laughs> it's pretty strong. Cool. So what do you think, um, having looked at a few of the habitats and the, the maps I've shown you today, what do you think are our chances of uh, a waterfall reintroduction project in Ealing? Well... Well, will, we, and will you help? Oh, well, I'm always up for helping, of course. Um, what, little, what little help I can bring, but yeah, I'm definitely up for helping. What we've seen today is that you obviously have some really large landscapes, don't you? Yeah, they yeah. Really big, really lucky. water bodies. Um, I think one thing, you know, fundamentally that we look at is the habitat availability, and I think overall there is here. Look yeah. at the connectivity is here, but I think the most important thing that you've demonstrated is that. There is that will and that passion mm. to try and get them back. It's getting the community um, involved as well, isn't it? So and I think, you know, by coming up with your habitat action plans or species action plans yeah. that you're working on, yeah. you know, it can yeah. be done. And I think in the meantime, we've talked about another species which I'm uh, hatching a plan to reintroduce and uh, you you're, have them in mind as well. The harvest mouse. Tell us about these little creatures. Well, 
the harvest <laughs> Another favourite of yours. Yeah, it's an amazing little creature. So they're our smallest rodents that we have in the yeah. UK. Yeah, Micromus minutus. There you go. Which That's means <laughs> micro minute micro mouse. Because <laughs> micro's not enough. We need the yeah, Micromus minutus. <laughs> amazing. Oh, yeah, so they, if anybody's seen a harvest mouse. Arguably cuter than a waterfowl, right? Wow, I'm not going to get onto that argument. <laughs> but I, I, could, I would definitely agree they are incredibly, incredibly cute creatures. I think they're most... Well, their cutest attribute is their tail, to yeah. some extent. They yeah, have yeah. these amazing prehensile tails that they use to wrap around blades of grass or whatever and dangle around. And they have, they're full of charisma. They're, um, they're tiny and light enough to climb, like, grass stalks, right? Exactly. I sort of compare them to sort of the monkeys in, the, or, you know, in some amazing sort of equatorial forest somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because they have that sort of ability to climb, dangle off stuff, and it really... Full of life and character. Yeah, and how small are they? What oh, kind of size? Well, if I, I know it's a podcast. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Visualize it for us <laughs> in words. So, um, <laughs> as I said, they are our smallest rodent, in, in, in size. they weigh very light. Um, they weigh less I'm, than I'm, ten grams, I yeah, think, yeah, don't they? Yeah, think Six or eight grams, something like that, like pound coin kind yeah, of weight. Pound coin weight. When you yeah. when you hold them in the hand, you barely feel them. You barely feel them. Yeah. So yeah, so incredibly small creatures and so delicate and they're in perfect proportion as well. The hands are just so yeah, it's amazing. like in amazing miniature, like yeah, little thing. Beautiful creatures. And they've just suffered with um, habitat loss as well, haven't they? They're like they've they did thrive on kind of old style pre-industrial agriculture where there was like messier field margins Absolutely. and hedgerows and rough vegetation and um, like areas of grassland that wasn't kind of harvested or cut a lot kind of rough kind of scraggy areas right yeah and also how we mow our uh, mowing our sort of industrial agriculture is so it's just basically chopping everything up in a field and, and pushing right up to the field margins and leaving no kind of space for little creatures like that to su- to survive totally yeah totally yeah exactly yeah. so and uh, so they have suffered really significant declines um, across the UK. Yeah, as, so as they're like locally common in some places, but in most places they've just been wiped out. And yeah. again, it's about that connectivity, isn't it? Once they've been decimated from a wide area, they can't recolonize. Oh, it's very difficult for them. And it's also quite a difficult creature to survey because they are so small. So yeah, When yeah. you actually go out and do sort of a survey for a harvest mouse, you're not looking for the creatures themselves, you're looking for their sign. Yeah. And typically they make these amazing nests. Yeah. Which, you know, uh, what, what, what they can do, because they have these amazing district. De- dexterous hands yeah. <laughs> we go and get it out <laughs> and they can literally split grass ends and then they really? sort of weave them into these incredible balls by so they make like a little themselves. like woven grass like yeah. tennis ball sized nest isn't it absolutely in reeds or yeah. in rough grass or in brambles and things like that totally and that's, yeah. and that's how you typically survey for them yeah. but yeah I think this is again another creature that you know has a role in the landscape not just supporting the sort of food webs but you know, seed dispersers like water bowls are yeah um, and massive source of food for lots of other things oh, like birds of prey right absolutely like the owls that you're working on and yeah you know kestrels all these sort of birds of prey you're going to absolutely love engaging with these sort of creatures so yeah and, yeah so uh i think you know communities can be brought into helping bring these species back because they're relatively easy species to breed yeah Ooh, what was that? i don't know what that was was it just a great tit, i think maybe oh was it i don't know yeah. <laughs> but, uh. yeah, um, but yeah uh, so we've got long-term plans to try and and maybe encourage schools to try and breed, breed these, them, breed yeah. These guys, because you know, you go to a lot of schools and they have these exercises where they get a chicken or an egg and it hatches into a chick. And yeah. normally the destinies of these chicks isn't fantastic. Um, mm. But uh, what we could, what we, what my ambition is, is, is both still very much since elemental stages. But can we get schools and children to breed? Start breeding harvest and then mice. At the end of the season, not just that so they learn how to look after a small creature, but we can then go release them into the 
Brilliant. Talk thing. about like so, yeah. starting the new conservation of exactly. Sion, right? We need these mini Assembrys to... Yeah, totally. <laughs> Totally. Well, one of the reasons I'm interested in it is, uh, number one, um, you know, better biodiversity. We're already, as you've seen, um, managing our grasslands for better yeah. uh, field vole populations, which great. are the main prey of the barn owls, which we want to get back in our owl project. Um, and we've seen a rise in other raptors, kestrels, red kites, buzzards around since we started managing the grassland in that way. Um, but if we can add in harvest mice and field voles, it just increases that um, biodiversity and prey abundance I guess exactly, it's, uh, it's good for further up the food chain isn't it and then I think as well as you say it's a great project to engage the community with you know we have a locally extinct species that should be here should be occupying these habits and isn't let's bring them back it, yeah. it just makes for a great engagement story as oh. well and uh, gets people involved right completely yeah I couldn't agree more with that yeah yeah okay so we're thinking of doing that soon i know that you have a, a stash of harvest mice at home elliot don't you yeah <laughs> so i still live at home so it's in my, my mom and dad's dread our garden is full of these uh, containers man, which really we have we have we have these harvest mice but they are amazing things to to to, to look after and actually just watch um yeah there's so much character to them but i say people ask me what was your one skill that you learnt over lockdown I think what my one skill that I massively improved is my harvest mice handling skills. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> You've perfected the art of handling harvest mice. I, I, yeah, so I guess my oh, one, they're jumpy like, little one sort of like, yeah, beggars, are they? Back over lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Why are they jumpy? Or? Oh, they're incredibly energetic. So, right. Yeah, so they will, they will be, um, yeah, they... they are Pinging very, off your they, they, hand. Like, they like to move, so yeah. Yeah, getting them in the hand is, is not the easiest thing. We don't, we don't like to handle them much, just yeah, to be yeah. clear, because they, we want them to be part of a wild population, but you know, when we're trying to sex them and move them into various little enclosures, yeah, you have yeah. to handle them a little bit. Yeah. yeah, so that, and also we clean them out every now and again. So, yeah, yeah they, my, my harvest mice handle Cool, well, I can't <laughs> wait to see them. What we're planning on doing, hopefully, is... Um, starting a breeding colony at the new nature reserve that we're creating. So we're going to have a storage container there. It's an old allotment site and uh, we're in the middle of, or just starting, renovating it and turning it into a nature reserve. So I can bring you there next if you want. Oh, yeah, let's go see it. Let's go have a look <laughs> and we'll uh, start our little harvest mouse uh, project there. Amazing. Cool. Thanks for talking to me today, Ellie. It's been really good and it's been great to show you around well, Ealing as well. Thank you for having well. me on and showing you, showing me Ealing's wild aside. No worries. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast with myself, Sean McCormack, produced and edited by Thomas Dinas. If you're enjoying the series so far, I would really appreciate it if you consider donating to our Patreon link below. That will really help us out with producing the podcast and covering the costs involved. See you next episode. Mm-hmm.